This is Monica Perez. I am here with Grant, the survivalist listener, fan friend, and he has got the skinny on everything from bugging in to bugging out and everything in between. So welcome, Grant. Thank you so much for spending this uh, time with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So what some of the things that you turned me on to, like I hadn't really even thought about I, I, this, even this idea of bugging in as being superior to bugging out. So I really want to get into the nitty gritty. I want to get into your big picture views, your big picture recommendations, and then some details about how to actually prepare, depending on what level of, you know, how imminent you think things are before they hit the fan. But before that, I wanted to just know a little bit about your background and maybe your worldview. So what do you think is really going on in the world? And um, how did you kind of inform your opinions? Just big picture stuff, if you wouldn't mind. Sure. Um, so we want to go way back. I was born in Van Nuys, California, and I uh, grew up there mostly. Um, well, mostly down Long Beach area and rather than the valley. Uh, I've lived all over Utah, Arizona, mostly California. Those are, that was my uh, stomping grounds. So I was quite literally born into prepping. My parents were preppers. They, uh, they, uh, they made sure that I went through Boy Scouts and they made sure that everything was everything. And then uh, the Rodney King riots hit. Um, and that was a pretty interesting time to say the least. And so luckily we had a lot of ammunition. We had a lot of guns, we had food. Uh, so our personal security, um, was right there and I grew an appreciation for, um, defending your home, defending your family, uh, how important the core family unit is, um, in times of crisis. So that kind of led to that. Um, I spent a little bit of time in the Marine Corps. I, uh, let's see, I was an underwater welder for almost 20 years offshore. So I went through a lot of, uh, survival training for water survival, things like that. Go ahead. Uh, my brother was a, like, considered to be, I think he was the best welder in New York, and he used to do the the docks under, he used to repair underneath the docks in the river. And I remember my family's like, he's, arc welding and water are not a good combination. So this guy is, he's something special. I remember always revering the underwater welder. Right, yeah. And that really kind of leads into a lot of, like, we're, the mentality of where what where we go and how we get to where we're getting there and whatnot because um we're constantly taught growing up that uh we can't do this we can't do that that can't be done or or why are you doing this and blah 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 well the truth is it can be done if you set your mind to it. so some guy like i'm going to take this welding lead and i'm going to jump in the water and i'm going to weld something together in the water so how do you do it well with everything in this world um, and the chaos that's surrounding us, we're so used to being, having our, you know, our fingers on top of, fingers on top of us. Okay. So why, why do we need to let that bother us? I mean, nothing's new in this world. So we should really stop thinking like that. We should think like, no, I can do that. This is possible. And this is where we need to go. And this is how we need to get there. Um, so in my personal opinion, I think the world is headed towards, uh, I don't want to really necessarily something catastrophic, but it's going to be a major shift. There's going to be a huge polarity shift in the way we see things um, politically and culturally both. Um, culturally, I think that we as, as as on a global scale, not just here in the United States, but across the planet, 
um, we're starting to see things for what they are. People are waking up on the daily. People are seeing that, you know, we've been lied to most of our lives. Uh, the government's screwing us right in the neck and not even saying thank you. So there's that. So no matter where you are in the world, I mean, you don't have to submit to a tyrannical government. There should be no reason for it. Can I ask you, do you think that it's, I mean, how do you separate your thinking on maybe the the tyrants here versus the fact that it's coordinated globally? Like, how do you, I mean, Putin has a has a big old vaccine and he's going to have a central bank digital currency, but it looks like they're really scrubbing it up for real in Ukraine. How do you think that the power structure works? Are there lizard people or does it, <laughs> does it get fought out in the halls of the UN? Like what is your viewpoint? Cause you're, I mean, I follow your social media posts and you're an interesting guy with an, with a depth of understanding. And I'm just really curious to know how you think that the hierarchy shakes out. I think the hierarchy shifts out like this. There's them and then there's us. Um, and whoever they are, um, I really haven't figured that out because I don't think anybody really knows for sure who they are. And the gamut's wide. You know, they're either a reptilian race that are shapeshifters that are, you know, breeding us to be dinner. Or there's some sort of lineage of Mary Magdalene or there's... Uh, some ancient bloodline that's going to rule the world for all eternity and we're just puppets in the play. Well, I, I don't think it's that way. I think that what it really is, is is it's more like a cake. So you have us on the bottom of the cake, you have a layer of frosting, and then you have them as the top layer of cake, and then you have a layer of frosting with a whole bunch of candles to make it look pretty, right? So us on the bottom, we live our lives and we do our thing and we don't play into the power structure as who has the most gold or who has the most food or who has this and who has that, where they think on a different level. They're like, okay, I need more gold. I need more food. I need, but I don't want to be the one to do it. I want them to do it. So how do we get them to do it and make it think that they're the ones doing it for their betterment, but really we're the ones sucking up all the, all the resources. So the power structure really looks like a cake. So when you cut into the cake, what happens is the knife pulls all the frosting down into down into the cut, right? So the top goes to the bottom. And then when you pull the slice of cake out, a chunk of it's now missing. Well, that chunk of it's missing is them. Now they don't have that chunk of the cake anymore. So we, as, as, as a people, as a culture, who greet each other on the street, on the daily, are the ones that actually have the true power. We are the ones that allow them to be them not the other way around. And how, how do I you speak. think we could exercise that power for our own good? Do we have to coordinate to do that? Or can an individual just change the way they think? I think we do. Well, I think twofold. Um, yeah, we do got to coordinate. The best way I could think to put it is, is that we're a whole bunch of individuals that need to be a one. So everybody has their own personal strengths, their own personal weaknesses, everything about them is unique to them. So Instead of everybody being, well, I'm going to do this by myself because, you know, screw everybody else. You know, I'm going to run. I'm going to run for the hills. Well, guess what? Now you're in the hills. Now what? <laughs> now what are you going to do? And the person you just dusted is going to run to the hills, too. Now you got to <laughs> just meet up with each other. Like Now you're both in the hills and you have no plan. And then you have this awkward re reuniting of where you're going to be like, hey, yeah, bro. Sorry, I left you for dead. <laughs> I mean, do you think. 
I feel like when I drive on the highways and I see trees and stuff, and then sometimes you'll like take an exit and you'll realize that are they beauty strips or whatever they call them, that it's totally developed and built up and it makes it look like there's a lot of open country, but there really isn't. And more and more I'm feeling, and even like if you go traveling abroad and you find a native tribe or whatever, they're really highly curated and supported by the government as like a novelty. And I feel like, so this idea of going to the hills as if the hills are some wild untamed place. I'm not, do you think that there are such places? Can you go kind of Kaczynski or will they, I mean, is every, cause even when you read, I don't know if you've read technological slavery, Kaczynski's book, he says like, just since when he moved there, to when he got caught, basically, he can just get to the top of a hill. And instead of seeing hills, he just sees civilization encroaching on him. And he tried to find like right. a really remote place. So are there hills to run to even? Maybe at a time, but we're, we're way past that time. That time is long gone. Even if humanity does, you know, populate immensely, there's still going to be open land out there. The problem is, is technology. Technology, we have satellites in space that could literally read a book on your kitchen table from to what is it 250 some odd thousand miles away in such great detail so if they could do that you know why can't they spot you in the woods why can't they spot you in the hills why can't they do that so being able to hide in my opinion it's it's useless you're not gonna hide there's no way to hide right okay so then you have to think about what's the difference between bugging in and bugging out. So I always thought guns, gold, and a getaway. Well, I always thought of a getaway as a getaway car, but actually you need a place to get away too. (laughs) And that might not really be anything anymore. And actually as they, on the one hand, rewild, and on the other hand, like lock down the cities to where they kind of want everybody in the cities. They even to the point where I think all this infrastructure stuff or like the zoning in the suburbs that... Biden wants to make kind of city type zoning to make no single family house exclusive areas to bring projects there. I think they're trying to expand the urban areas and really um, so there so there's enough of that urban structure that which is highly controlled for everyone to live in. So if they expand the city limits to the suburbs, they can bring everybody in. And then like the outlands are going to be either the rewilding stuff with wolves and all that and mountain (laughs) lions. They're really doing that, which is super cool. Like it looks nice, but I'm not sure we're going to say, but they own that anyway. They assert ownership to that. So maybe that isn't, maybe bugging out isn't, isn't the first line of defense. No, and I would say uh, bugging in should be your first your first thing. So the first thing you need to do is you need to take a look at your where you're at, whether you're in the city, like an urban setting or a rural setting. Each has its own advantages and disadvantages. In an urban setting, you have a denser population. So, which is not necessarily a bad thing. If you network out amongst your immediate community, and I mean just your neighborhood, start there. Well, actually, let me back that truck up. You should start in your house your very own house with your family. Those should be your first go-to, no matter what. That's always should be your first go-to. Uh, so whoever you're significant in others, you should really sit down and have a nice, good conversation with them. Be like, hey, how do you feel about this? How do you feel about that? You know, where do you stand on all this? Because this is how I feel. I'm watching the news. It's stressing me out. Uh, there's a lot of things going on um, in the world that's actually going to make it so that you can't think clearly, that you are 
really f- like like your head's got that TV fuzz in it because you don't know where to go, how to get there. So what you need to do is just tune tune it out, tune all that noise out because you don't need it. All that that all that that noise is doing is confusing you, letting you think that you are on a bigger planet than you really are because Earth is small, really. So just look at it for what it is. And even in say a city like Los Angeles or New York or or even Chicago or these larger areas, there's a lot of really good people there that just want something more for themselves. And so the best place to start is in your house. Start in your house. Ask your spouse. And the way yep. I think of it is, it's a very, and maybe you can even opine on what you think the likelihood is, but the way, and this will always scare my husband. I'm like, I don't think there's going to be a fire and I don't think there's going to be riots in our neighborhood. And I don't think tanks are going to come down our street. I don't think we're going to get burgled. I'm not, I don't think any of that's going to happen, but there is a chance. And what do you think I should do if it happens? And then you start to like, think about there's a fire or something like, because my father had nine kids. So he used to sit down and say, if there's a fire, you all meet um, in the lawn across the street. Otherwise right. I'm going in there for you. Absolutely. And a rally we point. Need to be there. And it was very clear. He used to, I remember you used to hear him have nightmares at night and it was always that there was going to be a fire. And one time during this lockdown, my husband was out of town and I didn't know what it was, but there was the day of like, they were calling for BLM protests in LA. Right. And I live in this little neighborhood. You, you're in Van Nuys. I'm like outside of Pasadena. It's a very, it's just a bedroom community. They don't have like bars. I think they don't even have churches and (laughs) it's just a bedroom community and we rent a house there. So I don't really know everybody in the neighborhood, whatever, but all of a sudden for like, I mean, it seemed like an hour, there were cars circling in my neighborhood, honking and being like pretty aggressive. And I thought, I I thought, Hey, somebody like discovered that we have this nice neighborhood, you know, the cops aren't going to come help. And that if they they realize that this is like would be disruptive and terrifying because absolutely nobody and although a lot of Chinese people live in the neighborhood so maybe they do know what it's like they are I saw well, Trump signs do. and stuff yeah so uh, so it was really disruptive and I remember going around telling my kids like do not go to the window don't stand outside you'll just attract to yourself. And I remember thinking like the cops would not help. There's no way the cops were going to help. No. Nobody came to stop this. And I asked my husband, I was like, in the future, what what should we do? Like, I don't even know how to like, oh, there's like a basement. I don't even know how to get in the basement in this crazy house. And uh, and I really didn't even know. It was really weird because I just thought I am so conditioned white. Like, I'm so unaware and unprotected here. And and they're very like, no guns in L.A. And my son has Down syndrome. I'm really nervous about that. Right. Having guns around. And it ended up, what it was, was at the end of my street. I mean, these are huge houses. These are people who are definitely not working for the post office and they (laughs) called they called the protests for because trump like had not filled post office spaces do you remember there was like a week or a month where people were getting pissed at that it was so so weird and i it was not on my radar at all so finally i found this house that had like these banners and picket signs and everything about the post office and that's where all these protesters were congregating and thinking why would you do that? Why would you 
call a bunch of strangers into the neighborhoods to drive around and I mean, you're not winning anybody over to your side anyway, but people were going crazy and things were changing. And my safety level, like no longer is living, paying extra to live on like the super quiet street that you might even need a strategy for that. And that's what would get a spouse on board. I feel like that's what, so my kids were a little nervous about that. And I feel like you can just propose like, okay, we just, it's a 1% chance of five different things. So that's 5% chance you're going to have a problem. What do we do? We need a plan for each of those things because as uh, Larry Pratt of Gun Owners of America said, like what you don't want to do when you see a bad guy with a gun is have to pray that a good guy with a gun shows up. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I couldn't agree more. Um, and you're right. Um, unfortunately it does, t- sometimes it does take a trigger to get a spouse on board. And, and the, but the first line is, is you got to talk to each other. You got to communicate. Uh, second, once you like, like, like just what you said, you know, look, I don't feel safe anymore. They're busting people into here. They're causing chaos. They're deliberately coming into these particular neighborhoods to cause chaos. They're disrupting it's harassment. Um, it's illegal. Uh, you're not supposed to be able to do that, uh, but they do. And so there it is. So now that you've got your spouse on board, now you got to talk to your kids. What, how are you going to do with your kids? You know, how do they feel about it? I mean, kids really don't care. They would much rather be talking to their friends from school. They would rather, you know, have hangouts or, or going to the mall or skateboarding or whatever, rather than think about the possibility of, hey, you know, I could be walking down the street and quite literally, you know, some guy could be crazed in a vehicle and be speeding down the street looking for a target. Those people exist out there. So, I mean, what it boils down to is this, is situational awareness. If you have a good plan on how to approach your situation, it starts with awareness, always being aware of your surroundings, knowing what's there, knowing what's not there. Why is that there and why is that different? And how to react to each one of them. How do you make a mental note like, okay, I know that 25 yards behind me to my right, there's somebody walking down the street on the opposite side that I've never seen before. And I'm going to just keep walking this way, but I'm going to casually glance back and I'm going to be, oh, there he is. All right. Hey, you know, what's up? Pretend you're on the phone and do something other than let them know that you, you've you spotted them because that's going to raise their panic level. They're going to, uh, their heart rate's going to go up. They're going to do all kinds of bad stuff. So the best bet is not to trigger the situation further unless, you know, of course, you're somebody that's, you know, a ninja. So you got to know yourself. You've got to know your family. You've got to know your neighbors. You've got to know what you're capable of, what you're willing to do, what you're willing not to do. You know, where does your moral line stop and start? It's so interesting about the know your neighbors thing. There's so much strength in that. Do you feel like it's a good thing to kind of start building your community where you are or maybe finding the place that has a community? I mean, because everyone's just infiltrating, inundating Florida and Nashville, and they're definitely ruining those places. Texas, I agree, ruining them. I think it depends. Uh, I think it depends on where where you are in the in this world. Not everybody has the financial ability to get to pick and choose. And like, I'm going to move to Phoenix, or I'm gonna uh, I'm going to move to New Orleans because I think it's going to be better. But they don't always have that ability, or they have something that ties them to their place. They either have kids, sick or elderly parents. Or, or their entire family is from a certain area. You know, a lot of people have a hard time leaving the whole extended family. They just do. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, in fact, I think it's good. I think that families that stick together usually thrive better. But at the same time, 
if you can get out of a urban area, uh, then do it. <laughs> Absolutely. I say go move as far out away from the actual city that you can. Because the city is is dangerous or the city is going to be where the control is or what? Why do the you? The city is where the initial source of the chaos is going to be. You're not going to have a lot of time to regroup. So you're more worried about chaos than tyranny. Well, it's going to start with chaos and you're going to see it. You've seen it now with all the BLM riots and all of the, you know, Ferguson and all of that stuff. You're seeing it now and it's playing out like clockwork. So the first things first is they're going to get the people to turn on each other and destroy each other first. That way they don't have to live one finger to do it because now they have plausible deniability. We didn't do it. You guys did it to yourselves. You deserve what's coming next. And because you guys can't act right, we're going to really, you know, we're going to put the screws to you. That's the nature of this partisanship thing, too. I mean, the welfare warfare super state doesn't take a break. It gets bigger and bigger, whether it's Republicans or Democrats. And somehow they got all the Democrats to think that it's all the Republican voters falls across the street. And the same thing. It's just it's just genius. It's evil genius. It is. And it's diabolically genius. And and it's working. That's the problem is it's working. So the best way to combat that is to go on a good offense, but do it in a way that you cut them out of it. So take the take the need of demand away. If you become more self-sufficient, you're not dependent on the government. You're not dependent on grocery stores. You're not dependent on, you know, Amazon or whatever. I mean, don't get me wrong. I like Amazon because I, uh, you know, shop a lot on Amazon because I get cheap tools. <laughs> and uh, so... In order to do all that, you're going to have to recognize it for what it is. Yeah. Ken is asking, what do you think is the best way to plant a seed on an MSM, a mainstream media believer? Believer. So how do do you wake people up to this, what you are preparing for? I think the best way to do it is just with fact. And the most recent thing is, of course, the whole zombie AIDS virus thing that plagued the entire planet all at one shot. Everybody agreed to go on a two-week lockdown. Two weeks turned into a month, a month turned into 16, 17, 18 months. Two years later, they're still arguing about whether we should end the restrictions or not. So you got to ask them at one point, do you believe that you gave up your rights or did they take them and put the question back to them? Think about it Tell and then have them answer you. Don't let them leave without them answering because a lot of times they won't answer you. They'll be like, well, it's for the greater good. Well, define the greater good. What is that? Your liberty or my enslavement? One of the two. So... (laughs) We got a little glitch in your Wi-Fi, Grant. So I will tell a little story while we were waiting for you to unglitch. So when this all came down, I did that. I tried to get MREs and people were way ahead of me. I did get like four cases of them, but also uh, I went, I, I kind of, I was ahead of it. So I went to the grocery stores and I bought tons and tons of stuff that we needed, meat, chicken, beans, rice, um, canned peaches, stuff like that. And I started putting stuff in the fridge and we bought a freezer. I started putting stuff in the fridge and the freezer and I like was making an inventory of it. And I was like, this is what you, this is what you put in. Uh, this is what you should use first and whatever. And my husband who had prompted me to do this went back and just started eating the stuff randomly He's like, oh, look, we have this great steak. Like, there's no reason to freeze it. Let's just eat it. I'm like, dude, we talked about this like 
if I think it's unlikely that we will absolutely be out of food, but you can have a pretty good system if you take the food just make sure that you rotate it properly so that you're always you don't leave something to get freezer burned to the bottom of the freezer you always take the stuff from the top and you kind of pay attention to that and then you can kind of have like a preppers a three-month prepper supply always so you can have bottles of water you can have everything that you need as long as you make sure it's in order now i think that a lot of that prepping stuff is uh like a, a little bit regressive. So when lockdown came down and everybody I knew who had a Costco account and a guest room and every kid had their own rooms and they had offices and their houses, they could just stockpile. So they had extra cash. They could just stockpile stuff to the rafters, not care if it got wasted, not care how much space it took up. But in the end, they had a great advantage over the people whose kids had to share rooms and stuff. And I just felt like it was so incredibly regressive. It was regressive to women. Women had to stay home and homeschool their kids more or less or be there for their kids. Not that everybody around me wasn't staying home anyway, but definitely anything that happens at home is disproportionately performed by the woman, I think. I think that's just the reality. And when I realized like the Great Reset set, resets everybody to zero. Now, it didn't reset the billionaires to zero. I think it like... It was just your classic crash that it pushed everybody down. And then some of that surplus just funneled up and made the other people richer. But I am um, going to see if I can't get Grant back. He should be able to just pop back in. Okay. Uh, I have a comment. Dig for Victory posted a comment on the Rumble account. It seems like people would rather say they gave them up voluntarily, their rights, because it's more comforting than the alternative. Yeah, it is. Um, but it's also scarier to me that we give up without a fight. Like, that's kind of crazy to me. And that has scared me a little bit. Let me see if I can't get Grant back. Maybe maybe uh, Grant's, <laughs> Grant's under surveillance. <laughs> Um, I will resend him the stream. We'll have to carry on. If you guys who are watching on YouTube can give me some questions to answer, we can keep this going so that uh, until Grant can come back. Let's see if we can't salvage this. If not, not. What can you do? Just the way it goes sometimes. So Ken says, as a grandparent, I would like to get a first grade read uh, reader, read on Patrick Henry. I have a book. I have a book, Ken, on Patrick Henry. And there was a guy who, uh, Jerry Henry, I think, who do does Georgia Carey. He was, they were trying to do, trying to get the gun laws in Georgia to improve greatly. And I think they did. It was like 44th in the country. And I think it's like fourth now. And I asked him if he was any re relation. And he is a relation of Patrick Henry. And I had read a book. I'll find it and I'll put it in the show notes, the book I read. But I was shocked to find that in the introduction to this Patrick Henry book, it talked about how Thomas Jefferson intentionally set out to promote his own reputation and legacy and to diminish Patrick Henry's. TJ wanted to be the guy. I was shocked. That felt so wrong to me. However, that may be how propaganda worked those in those days. Maybe that is that was uh, to be expected. So I'm going to highly recommend that. Okay, Gary wants to know 
how do you stock up on water? I have nine months of food for four ammo, emergency kits, and so forth. Storing water seems tricky. I'm going to tell you what I did. I asked my cousin, who's a prepper, when this came down. First thing I did was get like that big pro pure water filter thing that like Alex Jones promoted. And that's been great. Uh, but, and I have a life source in my house. So, assuming the, the water's running, it's super high quality water. I can put it right in the fish tank. That's how I know. But what my cousin said is just make sure you have, a, if you have a swimming pool, which I do, a lot, a lot of chlorine. And I thought, yuck, I don't want to drink chlorine. But I bought, I went, my husband's like, okay, this is what you're doing to prep. I was like, hell yeah. I got a big one of those five gallon drums of chlorine pucks from the pool oh, supply yeah. store. And it's in my, it's in my garage. I'm like, I, I don't think we're going to need it. I absolutely don't think we're going to need it. But if we need it, what yeah. did that cost me? And I could just use it. I've got a pool. So I could just use right. it. <laughs> but it was, I, I so, but on the other hand, like when I was in a hurricane in Houston and people told me to fill up all the all the tubs i had three kids in diapers i was like i'm not filling up the i think the odds of my kids drowning in those tubs is higher than the hurricane really hurting us so i made the decision not to do that because if it's no cost that's one thing it's no cost for, i mean it's money but not much to buy the right. chlorine pucks and then they ran out they ran out at some point i don't know why probably supply chain but anyway you need some chlorine i got it but uh <laughs> but they they it was just a basically a no risk thing to do right and, and i, I do that so how I, about you i agree with the chlorine tabs um i use the little one inch ones and i bust them in half um so that you can put them in a water bottle shake it up and then you let it dissolve and then you pour it in your bigger five gallon or gallon or whatever you got um, so if you're storing bottled water, um, the best way to do it, in my opinion, is build a shed out in the backyard, um, say 12 foot by 12 foot, that's dedicated to nothing but housing water. Uh, make sure the walls are insulated. You don't want the water getting too hot, too cold, because uh, it'll freeze in the wintertime, depending on where you live, unless you live down in the south. Um, then it's going to be, you know, 120 degrees one day and then zero degrees the next day, and that's that quick. So I'm on two things too. I have water fi uh, filtration that I built. It goes on my camper. So if uh, I decide I'm gonna bug out, I'm gonna drag my camper until I can't. Cause you know, I got kids, I got family, I got, you know, dogs, animals, cats, you know, chickens, horses and all that. So there's a lot to think about. So if I was to ever take off and I would say back up to a stream or even a gutter for that instance, I could soak up water. It'll pass through the water filtration system and it'll be clean on the other side. And I built it for about a hundred bucks using everything from Home Depot. So works off of a 12 volt car battery. It's highly portable. It's simple. You can do that as as a means of, you know, filtering your water from any water source that you can get it from, unless it's, you know, irradiated, then I mean. <laughs> <laughs> do you carry uh, around that um, iodine? Iodine, yeah, iodine drops. Um, yeah, so yeah. so yeah, if you if you think there would be a nuclear event, it's important to have the iodine tablets. It's some specific kind of iodine. Uh, it is a specific it, type of iodine, and I, you know, and off the top of my head, I don't remember what it's called. I remember we used to get them in our little um, part of our doctor. deployment packages, you yeah. know, and stuff like that. We'd get all kinds so, of fun stuff. Okay, here's uh, just to finish up on the water thing. Look up. Do you have a resource that you can recommend that will show how to build a water filter? Uh, yeah, there's several. Um, YouTube is a great place. There's a lot of preppers there that have some really genius ideas on how to do it. 
So really, all you really need to do is you need a small water pump uh, that works off of 12 volt batteries and PVC pipe, a couple of filters in line with each other, which you can get at Home Depot. And it's real, it's real easy. You just cut the pipe, glue the pipe together, make sure it goes in one way, comes out the other, and you're good. There is, uh, I think Patriot Supply, I want to say, has some schematics and stuff like that for building a water filtration oh, system. Really? That's like where you that. can get those meals ready to eat, right? Yeah, exactly. So so let's let's just rattle off the things that even if you're bugging in, not bugging out, how you should live your life so that you are prepared. So let's say food, water, weapons, supplies. If I was saying when you had dropped off, I was saying like the way I did it when lockdown happened is I just basically wrote a list of all the things that we needed. And I made sure that as time went on, we used the oldest stuff first. And then I would just, if there was stuff in the store, I would put it at the back of the line so that I basically have three months worth of food in my house, assuming there's refrigeration because it's a freezer. I also right. have the dried stuff. But if you want to do it so that you're not putting a bunch of money into dried food that you're never going to eat or just stock up on a bunch of stuff just because it will store a long time. I feel like you can get organized enough to have a three month supply of food if you're if you are willing to just make sure you you put the stuff on the back of the line. How do you do it? Okay, so depending on your budget, if you're on a very low budget, um, the best way to do it is canned goods. Canned goods store forever. They're smaller, so you can pack them. You know, you put them in all kinds of nooks and crannies in your house. Um, you don't have to have a big pantry. Um, you can put them under your bed. My grandma used to, I used to laugh her all the time because they didn't have a bed frame. It was literally cans <laughs> of food with a mattress on top of it. And that was their bed frame. And it was about three tiers high. And I used to make fun of her. And then later in life, I was like, man, that was actually a really good idea. Yeah. <laughs> so, I love that kind of efficiency. Right. So, which goes to your situational awareness, you know, what's, what is yours right now and how do I make it work? So, when you go to the grocery store and you're on a limited income, you buy one extra can of like Campbell's soup or even the off-brand. I mean, they're good. They're all pretty much made in the same place anyway. So just grab an extra can and take a Sharpie and mark an X on it. So, and just throw it in the, throw it in your cart and do your shopping, go home. And that one with the X goes off into this shelf and the ones you're going to eat this week go onto this shelf. That way you make sure you separate them. And, and you got to be disciplined. Okay, the food, is, it's its like a savings account, you know? It's not saving if you're spending it. That's exactly uh, what I said when you broke off. I was like, I, my husband told me to go stockpile food, and then when I brought it, he just started eating it willy-nilly. I was like, you can't do that. I was really no. mad because I took like an hour to figure it all out, to make my list, to like put it in the right places, and like this stuff over here is that. But if I had put an X on it, he would not have touched it. That's He would that's not. Right. Yeah, if it's designated and marked, most people will be like, why does it have an X on it? Yeah, the poison. You know, what's, what's the big <laughs> red button? Don't push the big red button. Yes, that we're not that out of control. That would work for us. Yeah. Okay. Right. Good. Keep going. So there, so go that route if you're on limited. If you're on a moderate income, I recommend buying the MREs. I buy the actual. Um, well, I buy a whole variety of them. I buy the one the military actually uses because I've eaten them and they're good. Buy the MREs. Even if you're on a, a limited income, save up. Save up your money. Put a few pennies aside. Get a jar or like something to put your change in and save your money and go buy the stuff. It's not going to work if you don't actually do it. So if you can afford to buy six months worth of MREs and have a nice place to store them and you can do all that um, to do it, absolutely do it. If you can't afford to do that, then do it at a 30 day supply at a time. 
and spend $100, get 30 days, spend another $100, get another 30 days, and another $100, and do it three months, four months at a time as you can afford it. Meanwhile, you're stocking up on canned goods to supplement that MRE pet, uh, supply. Um, somebody asked, what, what do you do if there's a currency crash? How do you think of, of money in this situation? Do you stockpile all forms of money? And do you think that a currency crash is going to be something different? I am not. Uh, money is what you make it. It can be anything. Money can be a piece of paper with a dead president on it. It could be a lump of gold. It could be some silver. It, I mean, it could literally be a, a piece of copper formed into a Chinese throwing star to trade with. Currency is nothing more than just a generic way of trade. And so in my personal opinion, I don't think that money is going to be worth anything. Crypto is only as good as the power is on. The banks are only as good as so long as someone's there to hand you your money from it. If you If you have paper, it's only really as good as somebody that needs it. And if nobody needs money, what do you trade with after that? And you're left with two things. You're left with skills and items. So in my personal opinion, um, money's only going to get you so far. So, yeah, keep some cash on hand because um, if you're going to bug out and you're going to use a vehicle, you're going to need gasoline. So long as the gas stations are still taking cash for their money or cash for their gas, uh, you're good. You can get at least get so far that way. But eventually, you're, the cash is going to run out. It's not going to be worth anything. So I don't place a lot of stock in stuff. Uh, I place a lot of stock in skills, attributes, uh, communication, um, networking of the community. Who knows how to do what? Because not everybody can do everything. You know, I'm a welder. I'm not a plumber. So when I need a plumber, I call my son-in-law and I tell him, hey, my pipe's leaking. Come fix it. And he's like, all right, cool. And he calls me up, hey, we're putting up a barn. I need your welding machine. And while I got your welding machine, why don't you bring you two? So I'm, all right, fine, I'll go do that. And we trade and we do a lot of things like that. And we get a lot of stuff built just by networking out. I feel like the number one thing I do to prepare for something, like <laughs> literally I was making gumbo yesterday for the first time. And gumbo can <laughs> gumbo can be tricky and it's got to be right. And it's a lot of ingredients. And if you screw up that roux, then oh, you've yeah, got problems. <laughs> My husband's from the South. We just came back from New Orleans. And uh, I was like, I can make a gluten-free gumbo. I'm telling you, I pulled up like recipes, some gluten-free, some not. And I read them and I reread them. And I like visualized what it would take to like make sure I had all the ingredients ready for when that set, that like instant when the roux is yeah. exact, <laughs> right, dark color. And I mean, I just found, and I'm not, I don't normally do that with cooking, but I was like, I have no margin for error here. And right. I really visualize, and I do that sometimes if it's like an important big show or whatever, I will visualize, because I read once that they did this experiment with basketball players. So they had some basketball players practice, some basketball players not practice, and some basketball players not practice, but visualize the game, the scenario, free throws, whatever. And they found that, if I recall correctly, or if it was true, I don't know, but it, I think it was, it seems right. They found that the ones who practiced and the ones who visualized had very similar outcomes, but the ones right. that didn't practice nor visualize were much less good. So I found I so I feel like the number one prep you can do is visualize your scenarios and then you realize you can literally feel the emotion of like, oh shit, like I don't have batteries. Like what right. am I gonna do when this light this doesn't work? And when I look at the deep the deep state planners, they always they call it scenario, scenario it out. 
you've heard me talk many times, um, probably read it yourself, like the 2010 four scenario Rockefeller Foundation thing, oh, yeah, the absolutely. SPARS 2017 on Johns Hopkins. That is, is one of those four scenarios, basically, but it's really just a media and communication scenario. Event 201 is scenarioing it out. That's what they do. That's what they do. And then they have, it's like also branches out. So they start with like a bunch of potential scenarios and then they either narrow it down or expand it. And I feel like you can very quickly figure out what it is that you are capable of, willing to do, what you're worried the most about. And a lot of things you can't really do anything about. And and again, visualizing is probably a great way to prepare to not panic. You're like, okay, if this is a scenario, and I'm not going to be able to help somebody important to me. I need to be able to make decisions even, you know, not to get bogged down in the emotion of that, because let's think it through in advance. Like if I can't get to somebody who's in a different state who needs me, what do you do? Sacrifice yourself? No. Well, I, I agree with you. And in Vietnam, um, they, the U.S. military did a study um, on the effectiveness of the fighting troops. And what they found was is that only 15% of each platoon was doing the actual fighting. Um, so that means that basically if you have a platoon of 10 people, only five guys were doing all the work. But actually less than that. It was like one or two guys doing all the, all the extra work. So, but still, uh, in Vietnam, even with that number, the United States accomplished every single objective it stood, set, was set out to do. It did not ever lose an objective, not once. Sure, the body count was high, but they got the job done. So, if you were to if you were to take that type of scenario, bailed off of what you were just saying, the U.S. military had to figure out how to get their troops to be more effective. How do you make a more cohesive fighting unit? Because let's 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 be honest, combat's scary, and if you're not scared, you're lying. Um, that's that, that's just a fact. So. Making peace with your mortality is one thing. Nobody lives forever. No one's going to live forever. And are you willing to go that extra mile to defend your freedoms, your liberties, your family, your people, your neighbor's people? I mean, what what is it going to take to get you there? Not everybody has it in them to do it, which is why not everybody enlists in the military. Not everyone becomes a cop. Not everyone, you know, does, uh, you know, Brazilian jiu-jitsu or whatever. They just don't have that a lot of that fighting instinct that's that's required of it. So what the U.S. military did was is they uh, did a repetitive style training. So you didn't just go to train. You trained over and over and over and over and over and over again. You did the same thing a billion and one times. So that in the event that all hell breaks loose, and it will, uh, especially in a combat scenario, you are, it's going to go, it's going to go to sh shit quick. And it's going to be scary and you're going to lose your wits for a minute, but your training is going to take over. Your body's going to have a muscle memory of what to do and why to do it. Even though you're not consciously thinking to do it, you just do it. And um, the same, which is why I keep pressing on the discipline. You need to be mentally disciplined. If you're going to be a survivalist, if you're going to survive anything is you've got to have the mental fortitude and discipline to know that you got to get there. And you're right. Visualizing yourself in this scenario is a great way to start. Talking about it out loud with your friends and, and coworkers or whoever you trust to um, how would you go about it? How is it better for my neighborhood? Um, how is it? How do we how do we lock this down? How do we make everybody gel together? 
and then you practice it. And I'm not talking about, you know, everybody grab your AR-15 and go run out in the street and drill up and down it all day long. I'm not saying to do that because you're probably going to get arrested um, because that's illegal. But what you can do is, is you can go out to like some place outside the city limits and you guys can practice things. If you know somebody that lives out in the, out in the hills, set up like a mock house and and then learn how to defend it, learn how to set it up and learn how to talk to each other, hand signals with each other, know what they mean and why they mean it. Uh, a lot of small details that can go a long, long way for survivability. Um, and communication is a big factor when you're being overran. I mean, it's just the fact. And, and, and you do it slow. Start st- one step at a time. Um, don't start running. Just take a step and then take another step and then do another step. And bounce ideas off of each other. I don't live in your neighborhoods. I can't tell you specifically what you got to do, but you know, but you know your terrain. Um, if you live in a hilly terrain, it's going to be a little different than people that live in a flat terrain. If you live in a desert terrain, it's going to be different than people that live out in the woods. So know what you got. If you've got weapons, you got food, you got water, and you got some way to cover your ass, and you have shelter. So now you have all of the elements of survival. Next is a plan. You got to have a plan. If you don't have a plan, you, it's you're just going to be running around being like, what the hell. Why is this all not working? Well, it's not working because you didn't set the work in place, in motion. Human beings are, are creatures of action. We have to do something. We're, we're designed to move. We're meant to move. We're, 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 we're a creature of, of physical activity. And in fact, the better we work and the more we work, the better our bodies react. And we stay in shape. Cardiovascular system stays healthy. We don't get, you know, like obese or fat or... I just, I actually think that that staying in shape is incredibly important. I've noticed that if I, I remember I had to move my entire house a couple of years ago and nobody could help me. And I just, I had so much work to do stuff that was like scary, heavy, but it had to get done. And I was, I couldn't believe it. It's like, man, I had just been working out a lot and I was very strong and I could do it day after day. My back never went out. I could right. do it with speed. I, I know I had like a phone in my pocket and I did like 27 stair flights of stairs one day. <laughs> like I could just, and I just kept doing it and kept doing it and at night. I would go to sleep and I would think, what do I have to do tomorrow? And I would go through all that. But I remember thinking, boy, being in shape makes a huge difference. And then Shortly after that, the whole lockdown thing happened and I was like, the gyms were closed and I, I just, all I could think of, I, I had to, I had like all these neuralgias and kinks and I couldn't, and my back hurt all the time. And I started going to all sorts of doctors and then they gave me like physical therapy, which was like going to the gym. So that was helpful. But I remember (laughs) thinking, boy, just like that, just like that you can really deteriorate to the point where all of a sudden I felt like I was getting old. I couldn't function at all. And even though I'm really lazy, I know that I have to get up and do something like weights or whatever. I don't really do too much cardio, but like just to stay strong because you can't do what you need to do if you're in aches and pains. And I, I remember when I did oh. yoga for a while, I looked into what yoga was, you know, it's like who invented yoga. It's so cool. And I found that it was invented so that your body could tolerate sitting still for three hours, which is totally unnatural for like a meditative prayer thing because it was a religious practice. And I remember thinking, wow, like you really have to get ahead of the physical stuff if you want to be prepared in a pinch. It's like skiing. I can barely ski because I just don't ski that much. And you're like, your legs hurt so much by the end. So it's well worth it, I think. And people don't realize I think you don't think about it and it's something you really have to get ahead of. So I wanted to ask you, 
first of all, do you have a resource that you think you could recommend to people as like intro to prepping for, you know, how to just take it from Brooklyn girl to I could survive a week at home. (laughs) That's all I really need. Well, the best resource is you, you, the individual is the best resource Um, because you know what your needs are. You can go online and you, or you can go to the library, which I still go to the library um, because it's quiet and away from people. And um, they have a lot of books there and I love books. So you can go and they'll tell you all this really, really good advice. And it is really good advice. It really is. But it's in a very general format. It's it, it it's meant as a whole. It's more of a tool, not necessarily what you have to have. So what you have to have is you, uh, when it comes to prepping, um, you have to identify what it takes to survive. And so, and it's real basic. You need food, you need water, you need shelter, you need something on your ass. Okay, so that's that's what you need. So most everybody has a house to live in, so there's your shelter. Uh, most everybody has to eat, unless you're, you know, magic. Uh, everybody has to have water, unless you're from Mars and you live used to a desert. So uh, and everybody has to have something on their body to protect themselves, not just from uh, the elements, but, you know, <laughs> don't go in public naked. So what do you need? So really start with, with your own house. Start, get with the, um, I see, and I do this with my wife all the time, is I'm like, okay, what do you think we need for the next 30 days? Well, we need this, 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 and this, and this. And I was like, okay, how much of that is a luxury? Do we have to have that? Well, no. Okay, so what do you really need? And then that list starts getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. So I'm like, okay, go buy the needs list first and then take whatever money's left over and then go buy your luxuries um, and see how much of that, uh, which shopping cart fills up the fastest. And it's usually the needs cart fills up the fastest and the luxuries usually is just way down, just skimming the bottom because once you get to thinking about it, you're like, you know what? It would be nice to have a box of bonbons, but really, do I need them? No, you don't. But you have to have your basic ingredients to make a meal. And if there's anything else specifically, like kind of basic weapons or skills, tools, like give us a, a few of the kind of checklist basics on that stuff. Okay, so let's start with weapons. Weapons are pretty simple. Uh, firearms, obviously, um, it's a no-brainer there. Stick with anything within, chambered within NATO. Uh, the reason what? being, stay, keep your weapons chambered in NATO. What does that mean? Okay. So, NATO is uh, 5.56 five, or 2.23 in the civilian world. Um, 45 ACP, 9 millimeter, 308, and 30-06. You want to stay within those calibers. And the reason being is, one, ammunition is really, really seriously expensive. Um, and the U.S. government buys it up first before anything hits the street. So the reason why we're having such ammo shortages is because the U.S. government is stocking up on their fire, uh, on their ammunition. They just, uh, they, they get first right refusal from the manufacturers. And it's not just our military that's buying it up. Our, it's, it's our, um, the State Department's buying it up, FEMA's buying it up, IRS is buying up. Agencies you would never think would need to have that kind of stockpile of ammunition are having that kind of, the CDC bought ammunition. So that should be, that should tell you, if you follow, if you follow, like you always hear me say, follow troop movements all the time. Well, part of following troop movements is who's buying the ammo. And 
the animal is being bought up by the government. We know a lot of it's being shipped to Ukraine. Why? I have no idea, but it is. But that doesn't delineate the fact that they are soaking up the mass majority of it. So if you're going to need ammo and you're hard pressed to buying it, well, if in the scenario of shit hits the fan, you can always pick it up off of whatever's laying around. And that's how you would gather your ammo. So now you're foraging for ammo. But you have the same caliber they do, which is why they are trying to take away the AR-15 is because it's the same it's the same bullet that the M16 M4 shoots. Not only that, but the parts are almost completely interchangeable. The M16 has a little bit of a longer chamber because of the sear in the trigger system. But other than that, it's an interchangeable weapon. You can take the parts off an M16, put it in an AR-15, and vice versa, which is why they don't want us having it. It's not that it's a weapon of war. It is it is a very highly market-flooded weapon. And everybody has one. Everybody probably has like three or four of them, plus the 80% and, and all of that, too. So there is plenty of 5.56 out there floating around. Uh, U.S. military, uh, law enforcement, um, and other intelligence agencies have gone from the 45 ACP to the 9 millimeter. Why? I don't know. I'm a huge fan of the 45 ACP. My theory on that is, is because the 9 millimeter will hold more ammunition in the handle of the of the gun versus the 45 where you get seven tops versus a nine millimeter where you can stack 15 in there. So if you're a horrible shot, go with the nine millimeter. That way you can send a lot of lead downrange. And if you're a good shot, go with the 45 and you're one and done. The 308 is um, the most popular sniper round out there across the entire globe. It's a NATO on purpose. It has an amazing ballistics. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the 308 myself. Um, I have 308. Uh, I have nine millimeter, which is really dusty and almost rusty because I really don't like nine millimeter, but that's a preference thing. If you have a nine millimeter, keep your nine millimeter and take care of your nine millimeter and be trained in your nine millimeter. Shoot it often. Uh, the other, the other round outside of NATO that I would highly recommend is a 22 long rifle. You can get a Marlin 22, pretty cheap, Savage 22, magazine fed. Uh, you can get, uh, Ruger makes a one hell of a 22. It's also two bore magazine fed. Um, and a 22 is a great for hunting, small game. So if you need to eat and you don't want to waste a lot of meat, use the 22 and put your bullet where it has to go and don't send a whole bunch of lead down range to kill your, your food. I remember when I first was on the radio in Atlanta, I had someone called. I, I used to do like nine o'clock Saturday nights. It was awesome, really fun slot to have. And I remember some guy called and he said, real. He's like, I know it sounds redneck, but everybody should know how to skin a squirrel. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And I actually then noticed, which I had never noticed before, that in a cookbook I got for my wedding, The Joy of Cooking, Right in the beginning, it tells you how to skin a squirrel, yeah. and um, I, I felt like there is a, there are a lot of freaking squirrels around, and you can eat them for sure. There's a lot of bunnies around here too, oh, yeah. so I yeah, twenty two probably is good for that. But I just never thought of it. But there is a lot of food running around. Yeah, it's just everywhere. Yeah, I mean the menu is wide open. You just gotta know how to go get it. And um, see, so that's what the web that's. Firearm weapons, uh, let's go to uh, basic or primitive weapons. Bow is a great choice. I, I have tons of bows. I got both recurves and compound bows. Um, you can do a crossbow if uh, 
if that seems to be more your thing, if you can't, you know, draw back and hold it there for a long period of time and, and you just need uh, something that shoots a little differently, the crossbow might be a better way, but be careful with the crossbow. It is a very, very powerful weapon. Um, I'm not a fan of the crossbow because it is so powerful that it will send a bolt so fast that it'll go through the target instead of go in there and do what it's supposed to do. Uh, I like oh, I like archery. Archery's way, it's way cleaner. It's, uh, it's more manageable. Way more manageable and cheaper. Actually, I know right near me, they, on Saturday morning, some uh, archery enthusiast gives archery lessons free. So people must just love it. It's just one of those things. And I'm sure it would be fun. I'll start doing that. Let's let's finish on the weapons thing. And okay, then... let's, all right, moving through weapons, moving through weapons. Uh, archery is a great thing to do, but you got to practice it. But it's also an amazing hobby. And it does keep your upper body in strength because it does require a lot of upper body strength. So it's a win-win on twofold. Uh, so on the primitive weapons, that is your ranged weapons. Now you have your non-ranged weapons. So in my personal opinion, I would say a fixed blade knife is probably the best asset you could possibly keep on your body ever. A fixed blade knife is the most universal tool, survival weapon that you could possibly have. It is so versatile. You can turn, you can turn a fixed blade knife into, um, a way to get your food. You can turn it into a spear. You can turn it into a booby trap. You can turn it into uh, a fire gathering tool so you can cut limbs off. So now you got your kindling, you can split it down. If there is a way that you need to do something, a knife is going to get you there. So have a have a good, solid fixed blade knife. Spend some money on it. Get a good name brand, Gerber, uh, Shroud Blades, um, K-Bar, all really good. And you won't go wrong at all, period. But make sure you get a good one because you want to make sure that tang goes all the way down through the handle. And I, I like the ones that have a leather handle versus the steel handles um, because when they get wet, they don't get slippery with, with the leather handle. Um, and a slippery knife is a dangerous knife, and so is a dull one. So keep that sucker razor sharp. So and that pretty much brings us to the end of weapons. Hold on, there's improvised weapons. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Yeah, we can do improvised weapons. So an improvised weapon is anything that's uh, laying around literally anywhere that can be turned into a weapon. So whether it's a rock on the ground or it's a baseball bat, um, uh, the, the, the flagpole off your porch, anything, the rolled up newspaper, credit card, all kinds of stuff can be turned into a weapon. But they're improvised because that's not its intended purpose. I had read, I think it was a CIA manual or something that said like a really good assassin does not bring a weapon. No, no, they don't. Because everything around you is a weapon. Literally, everything is a weapon. A pencil turns into a weapon um, and a pretty nasty one at that. So anything around you. So you could take a baseball bat and you could duct tape a rock onto the end of it. And now you have a flip. You could take, uh, if you have any other metalworking ability, you could take some wire, short shot of wire rope and duct tape a rock on the end of it and then duct tape it to a wooden stick of some a broke off broom handle and now you've got you know now you've got a mace and now you've got all kind now you've got medieval weapons on your hands and a machete turns into a sword uh everything like that so use your imagination everything around you is a potential weapon everything there's nothing is safe that's why staying in shape comes in so handy because sometimes a weapon like that is only as powerful as you are strong. So in conclusion, let's just say like your maybe first line of defense is to be prepared in where you are, 
make that a place that you can defend, connect with people physically near you in that way, and also have their stuff that you need to live, your necessities, but visualize, uh, stockpile stuff that you need or at least have a a working supply that's going to last you a while practice the defensive maneuvers think through what it would mean to defend your house your homestead your street uh and what you might need for that who what your strengths and weaknesses are what skills are that the people around you have so that you know what you can leverage what you lack maybe you can plan ahead for finding somebody who has those extra skills, Absolutely. make sure that the people in your life are on your same page, understand what you're talking about, get your mind around what, what are your weaknesses when the stressors arise so that you don't panic so that you like, okay, I've thought of that already. Right. Um, you know, learn how to keep your head and resist the psychological poison of feeling helpless and disempowered, which I would say is Big T They's only advantage. It's their greatest weapon. And it's and we're seeing that it works. Uh and it has been working since World War Two. And and uh before World War Two it wasn't turned on the American people and after World War Two it was. So uh the math on that's just really weird. But meditation is good, prayer is good, whatever whatever you use to bring your spiritual center to ground use it rely on it stay with it and exercise it because you know a good clean soul is a good clean mind and i i agree with you i was i had to make a big decision recently and i was talking to a priest i know and he said well the first thing you should do is go to confession i was like okay well why it's like you just you need to clear your mind you need to yeah Clear, you have to have a clean slate. I'd never heard anybody say that before. And I can see the value of that both spiritually and psychologically. It's, it was just, it was just an interesting idea. And then you're saying the same kind of thing. And yes, I actually feel like the spiritual resources is where I'm landing now after all this COVID stuff. And I'm just really racking my brain for solutions, but it's, it's quite comforting to feel like you have a nurtured soul. Sure. And it's important, um, but it's a part of all of humanity. We all we all feel bad when we do bad things, and it's 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 easy to let it bog you down. If you're not dropping the baggage off, then um, all you're doing is carrying around baggage, and that does nobody any good, especially yourself. So, Grant, people can actually interact with you at propreport.locals.com. Absolutely. Is there any place else that you frequent frequent that people can connect with you? Uh, I'm on the discord, but I rarely check in there. Um, I'm not a big social media guy. I've never been a social media guy. Um, I have a LinkedIn page, but that really doesn't count. So, um, what's your handle at propreport.locals.com? What's your handle? Uh, downline. Downline. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. Um, let's give it a wrap. I'm not, if you're not big on social media, I'm not going to, uh, there's, there's no resources really, but You've given us so much here. I'm going to put it on in the audio feed so that people can go through it and find all your um, recommendations. I agree with you. The best way to figure out exactly what you need to do. It's kind of like when you have a you know, chronic health problem that a doctor can't really help you with. Or right. if you want to 
get a haircut. Like only you know your own, you know your own um, health and needs and preferences, and just trust yourself to be able to just tune in to what is going to be important to you and think ahead, get a grip, get a grip on yourself, and own the suck. Own it. Because it's going to happen. If you want to get a hold of me, get a hold of me on Locals. Uh, message me direct. Well, you can't do a DM there, can you? Um, no, but people can just, it's a pretty private community. People can just comment uh, yeah. on there. Yeah. Just post so. it at me and so that I get the notification and I definitely yes. will respond with you. Um, and, and, and if somebody uh, wants to connect with you, they can connect with me and I will... I will link you up. You can go to the Propaganda Report Podcast at gmail.com. And if you have a specific question, I'll definitely connect you with Grant. Okay, yeah, do that. And we can uh, we can do the round robin thing. All right. Well, we'll see you then. Thanks, everybody, for coming. And boy, I've got some prepping to do. Thanks, yeah. Grant. <laughs> you bet. <laughs>